Proverbs 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Integrity of the upright will be a guide, but perverseness shall destroy. Lord, we thank you for your word, your promises. We ask God here tonight that you would open our minds, our hearts, our understanding to the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul. Let us never grow weary, Lord, in hearing your word. Let us never grow weary, Lord, in hiding it in our hearts. But let us constantly, Jesus, seek to grow in the knowledge of you and to grow, Jesus, in truth. I pray now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There is a safe way to live. Anybody want to raise their hand and tell me what is the safe way of living? Over here, the intelligent side. We're going to prove you're more intelligent than the other side. Let's get a, let's get a little competition. That's the only way I've done it. The smartest person in the church, or the smartest side, will be the one that can answer the question correctly. What is a safe way to live? Go ahead. Living for God, doing right. We'll accept that. You won the smart side. All right. Very good. It's just doing right. There's a dangerous way to live. You want to try it over here? Opposite of that, very good. That's who doing stupid. I mean, you know, doing wrong. <laughs> if you do what feels good and sounds good, you're going to mess up. That's what's doing wrong. What feels good and sounds good will always get you in trouble. And by committing to do only what is right at all times, you will have a certain guide for every situation. But living your life by your own feelings and choices will often lead you to great frustration, perplexity, and it will certainly destroy you. Do you hear that? By doing only and going only by your own feelings and own choices, you will mess up. Turn this uh, last set. I knew there was dark here. I'm, this last set of light. No, it's, it's, this, it's Jack is behind you. Maybe they're broke. It should be one of those. There we go. There we go. Now I can see. Okay. So this, uh, th this, is, this is the way that will destroy you. What is integrity? What is integrity? Anybody? Define integrity. Come on. Let's, let's, the smart side. Integrity. What is integrity? The middle side, uh, this, the center here is messed up. Well, well you've got center. Go ahead. Do what? When nobody's watching? That's a good that's a good that's a good definition. Doing what's right when nobody's watching. It's a it's a great trait of always doing what is right regardless. Regardless of doing what's right. It's regardless of difficulties or consequences, it is still doing right. Uh, regardless of what someone says about you, what it may look like, always doing right. There's always going to be someone who tries to pull you in the wrong direction, but doing right regardless is integrity. It is the upright who have integrity. What is perverseness? Anybody? What's perverseness? Oh, come on. Give me some of you IU grads. Come on. Go ahead. 
That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good, doing what's wrong when everybody is <laughs> turning away from what is right to act contrary to law or nature. Okay? It is transgressors or sinners who are perverse, for they choose to reject moral restrictions. There has to be morality. And perverse people, they reject moral restrictions. The upright always do what is right. They have integrity. Their confusion in life is minimal, for they've chosen to follow what is right in every choice and dilemma. They have a constant guide, and transgressors do whatever they want. They are perverse. They have no standards or parameters for their actions, and their perversity will destroy them eventually. So what is right? Anybody? What is right? There's an easy answer for that one. Go ahead. <laughs> you almost got it. God's will. That's God's will. The book. God's will. It is always right. Whatever the Bible says is right. Okay? Whatever the Bible says is right. Anything to the contrary is perverse and wrong. The Bible should be exalted on every subject and, on, and all other opinions should be hated. Psalm 119, 128. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Such a rule defines Bible Christianity. It doesn't matter what a pope says. It doesn't matter what a pope thinks. What is socially acceptable, it doesn't matter. What is traditional, it doesn't matter. Or what will win you a promotion, it doesn't matter. What matters is living by the Word of God. So let's look at some of this. Is sex up to you? No, God invented the pleasure of sex, and He has rules concerning it. Joseph was a man of integrity, and he never had a doubt about what to do when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Never was a doubt. But Samson, on the other side of it, was perverse in his obsession with a Philistine woman. And it cost him his eyes, his freedom, and finally his life. Is revenge up to you? God owns all vengeance, and he has ruled against taking matters into your own hands. David spared King Saul two times, even though he was seeking to kill David. But his nephew Joab was perverse, killing Abner, Absalom, and Amasa in anger and revenge to his own destructions, according to 1 Kings 2. Are small items taken from your employer up to you? Titus 2.10. No purloining. Anybody want to define purloining for me? Anybody? What's purloining? Smart sign? Purloining? Go ahead. You got it? Well, that's it. That's it. That's it. Stealing. It's just simply taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's just taking away. It means to steal. And so what's he say about it? No purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine. Of, look at this. I, this is a great scripture. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So... If you steal, you're taking away from the doctrine. That's what that says. So if you purloin, not purloining, means you're adorning the doctrine. If you're not taking. I think it goes deeper than that. You want to see little Robertson 6 and 6 on that scripture? 
It's Robertson's take, Robert, Robertson's commentary on Titus 2, verse 10. Are we ready? Thus saith the Robertson. He says that there's other ways of taking besides reaching in and taking a tool from your employer. He says there's other ways of taking rather than just uh, stealing gas or whatever else it may be from your employer. There's other ways of taking. Can you possibly steal time from an employer? Can you possibly... Let's take it away from the employer. Let's take it just a social interaction. Can you constantly, have you ever, do you ever get around people that constantly take from you? I'm not talking about taking your money. I'm talking about you can't talk to them unless they're. Until your gas gauge is on empty. You walk away stumbling just from a conversation. Yeah, just like a Hoover. You know, that's taking as well. If you want to have a good relationship, good social interaction, give as much as you take. In fact, give more than you take. That's the way it should be. It's not always. And, and, and you know, we got, I tell you what, this, I'm going to embarrass her, but this young lady here, Amber, I just had a talk with her, and she has got it together. She has got it together. Now, the devil, I just painted a target on you. You realize that. But you're going to be strong, right? All right. You're going to be strong. She has got it together. We talked about some things. I took her into some good doctrine a while ago, about an hour's worth. You know how I am. When I got somebody who likes to hear it, they get to hear it all. So she got to hear it all. And uh, I figure we get these new ones in here, we can outgrow these old ones. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. All right. So anyway, you know, we, 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 we've got to be able to, to, to give. And, I, and I, the reason I brought her up, and I, I'm saying this because she's got a great attitude, she is a new person. And we shouldn't, people that have been in church for a few years shouldn't be going to her for advice. All right. And I know that sounds strange, but I have seen that happen here. You know, I, I, th that shouldn't be. She, we should be giving to her, not taking from her. And it's the same way with anybody, any new person in the church. We should be trying to get the, you know, give them as much as we possibly can so they can overcome the enemy, so they can overcome the snares of the devil. We need to give, but never take from them. Never take. All right. So it's, it's up to us. So we look at the, um, well... Uh, should I bring this one up? No. No. Should I? Are we ready? Yeah. These girls are old enough to hear it. Hold your hands over your kids if you don't want to hear this. Hold it good and tight. Good and tight. You know, when it comes to when it comes to my proverbs, you, you know, this is no place for kids. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. Uh, I know, Rhonda, you don't have that. Could you get that for me? Because I feel I, I need to start this with, with this particular. That's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through... Oh, bless your heart. You're right on it. Now, concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a woman not to touch... A man, a woman. Not, it is good for a woman not to touch a woman. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> 
Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath no power over her own body but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath no power over his own body but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be for consent, for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinence. Yeah, in frequency. <laughs> okay. So is the frequency of marital sex the wife's choice? That's the reason I started with that. Pretty smart, huh? Is the frequency of marital sex the wife's choice? Perverse women think so. You notice I said perverse? The integrity of the earth price shall guide them, but perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. According to the Scripture, that can be a perversity. It could go vice versa as well. I never heard it that way, but I suppose it's possible. Is capital punishment debatable? Not to the upright, according to Deuteronomy 17 and 6. Are Presbyterian baptisms right? <laughs> Not a chance, according to 1 Peter 3.21. They're sprinkling it, okay? Should saints pay taxes to pagan government? No, no. Before you say no, you better think. Upright men will pay, according to Matthew 22:15 through 22. Most of our governments are pagan, and especially the United States anymore. So you still pay your taxes. Is the rosary a prayer? Not to a man with integrity, Matthew 6, 7. Should a man be content with his wife? Upright men will be. Colossians three nineteen. So, we're seeing some good stuff here. Now these, these are listed matters and many more uh, are simple for the upright. For they make choices. Upright people make choices based on integrity. And always following Scripture. The, the wicked, perverse, in, in their rejection of God's Word, are confused about the simplest matters and end up in destruction. The rule of wisdom is to live by integrity, always doing right, which gives a constant guide, always doing right. And, and I know I brought up some things that may seem simple, but you'd be surprised how we overlook simple things and think they're okay when they're not. They're not. We can laugh at some of the things that I said, but it doesn't change the fact that these are things that we need to really be aware of because it's easy to transgress in some of these areas. And the way of a transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. And I wonder sometimes if we don't have a lot of difficulties because we overlook simple things. And, and the Proverbs is telling us this. Jesus always did those things that pleased, pleased uh, the, the divine, that pleased the Spirit. He had perfect integrity and prudence in obeying the Word of God and living a perfect life. And he gives us an example of this, and a great example. Now we're going to jump from Proverbs uh, 11.3 to Proverbs 11.7. 11.7. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of an unjust man Excuse me. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. Thou fool, the Bible says, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? 
The Lord of glory used this, these gentle words to explain our proverb to a rich man. This proverb, I really believe, is what Jesus was explaining in this particular story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, the rich man had the, his biggest worry was the ability to store his increase, according to Luke 12 and 15. Worldly men arrive, in fact, all men do, but we're going to talk about worldly men, arrive in life naked and ignorant. That's just the way we, we arrive. And guess what? You leave the same way. All right? You leave the same way. Yet they waste their lives chasing goals that disappear in one second. Do you know? Now, you think about this. You can save and save and save and save. You can save for years for that dream, whatever that dream may be for you. And you can finally go to the bank, get the money, go buy your dream, and as soon as you get it, in one second, drop dead. I mean, sometimes it kind of boggles the mind, but that's why people, they waste their lives working towards one particular worldly goal, if you would, and then drop dead right afterwards. That's what he's saying here. They are blinded by the devil, for they see their friends die and they take nothing with them. Yet they keep running so fast, as fast as they can, on this treadmill of ambition, greed, and covetousness until it spits them into hell. That's exactly what it amounts to. Is such speech too harsh? Am I being a little harsh for you? If I am, it's not going to change. I'm still going to do it. Just... uh, It's nothing compared to the shock. You think about my harsh speech right now, but it's nothing compared to the shock when a person wakes up on, on the wrong place and they wake up in hell. You think of the shock of hell. You just think about nothing compared to that first second in hell. And in, in, in a horrible flash of understanding, every sinner, and this is what this proverb is saying, every sinner in this, this horrible flash will know that there is a God. All these people who question the existence of God, one millisecond after death, they're going to know there was a God. And there's absolutely nothing they can do about it after that happens. Not a thing. You think about that. Whole life is a waste. And this person has an eternity of unbearable torment ahead. Why do you think strong warnings about such a future are harsh? Why do you think that? If you are really one of those that believe that talking and, and preaching about or teaching about hell is too harsh, then you're blinded. You are blinded because if we don't hear it, we're going to begin to feel like some of the people out in the world. Well, God just loves us too much. If there is a God, He loves us too much to send us to hell. Now, that's how some people talk. If there's a God, He loves us too much. They put the big if in front of it all. No faith whatsoever that even exists. But if He does exist, well, He'll never send me to hell. The biggest fool of all you follow me, is that, is that successful Christian businessman. He silences his conscience by attending church, throwing just a little bit of his prosperity into the offering plate. Just a little bit. And, and, and then, you know, 
he, he continues to have a, and I'm not saying that being a Christian businessman is a, is a bad thing, but that this is the kind whose driving force in his life is the pursuit of, of social and financial standing. He, 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 has the only, he, he has the only reward that he will ever get, the approval of the little people who think he's a success. The, the Lord and all the wise men know where he's going, to the fire that is not quenched and where the man is a pauper. This is where a man's going to wind up. You can be successful. You can come into the church. You can throw just a little bit of money at the church and think, look, you know, everybody loves me because I got money. But they're not really seeking God. We have too many people, too many people who fail to seek God in the way that they need to seek God. Too many successes out there who have failed to understand where their success has come from. And this is what this proverb is saying. When the wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of the unjust men perisheth. I wish everybody in here could prosper. I wish you all could. I pray that over everybody in this church all the time. But not to the extent where you just forget where it comes from, forget how God has blessed you, and begin to live a life that goes completely contrary to what God expects out of you. Now, the world's insane. Anybody would disagree with the world's insane? You know, the world is insane. They, they, they set goals of high salaries, prestigious positions, large houses, fancy cars, fine clothes, and all kinds of ridiculous ambitions. And they say, he who dies with the most toys wins. I've seen that sign many times. They chase their neighbors daily to make sure they're not left behind in this mad rush to accumulate things. Then they lose them all in one second, that second that they die. Then guess what happens after that? They raise a bunch of kids to feel the same way that they do. So they got the kids who takes what they've left behind, and they, they continue their life. You realize how quick life is. Most of the younger ones won't, but some of the older us older ones, I have to put us in there anymore. You know, us older ones realize that just yesterday I was 25 years old. Today I'm 57. That's the way it feels. Yesterday when I was young, the taste of love was sweet. It's wine upon my tongue. Who sang that? You ever get something? I, get that, those stuff, I haven't heard that song in 40 years. And I can still remember it. Bobby Goldsberry. That's who sang that. Am I right? I can't remember the rest of it, but I can remember that. Goldsboro, not Goldsberry. Same thing. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't but when I say that, the first thing that popped in my mind, because people are like that. Yesterday when I was young, I suppose it didn't really matter to you when you're young. When you get older, you begin to realize that somehow if you could communicate, I think any, any one of us that is just a little more advanced in years could say the same thing. If we could somehow communicate how quickly it passes by and how, how that, 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 that time, that time frame that you have while you're young, when you, can, you have the energy to get out and do something for God, when you have the, the ambition, you, have the, you, have the, you can do it. You know, the passion that I have has not changed for the work of God, but the, the health and the strength that I used to have, I don't have. You know, that's where you, but if you could, if I could go back and do it over again, if I could come to God when I was 18 instead, I, instead of 28, 
How much more could I have accomplished? I, I, I think about that every day of my life. How much more could you do? It's not that I'm done doing. And we're going to continue, but I always think, you know, how much more could you get accomplished if you, you set your goals the right place? You, you see so many, so much ambition, so many goals. I'm going to school, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we don't place God in the right priority list here, at the right place in the priority list, then we're going to miss it all. We're going to miss the most important thing that we could possibly have. And so many people are just chasing after what they can never really get. Or when they do get it, they don't keep it very long. So we have a, an insane world. You know, consider Psalm 49 carefully. And you, you see the Lord ridicule the insanity of the rich and their ambitions. It is a sermon to warn men of the vanity of worldly riches. Whether a man is wise or foolish, he dies like an animal and he cannot take anything with him. He's quickly, he's quickly a clay carcass dumped in a grave, yet his family again chases these same illusions that he had. The, the important thing, the most important thing is what and where we build our treasure. Do you have treasure in heaven? The Bible says that is the only place that you can have treasure where it will not rust and where the moth can't destroy it. It's the treasure that we have in heaven. Because death strips the wicked of everything that they hope for. And it brings more than you can dream of. What death does to you brings more than you could ever really dream of. And so have you laid up any treasures today? Have you added anything to your investment in heaven? Because that is the place where it really matters. Lay it up in heaven where it really matters. And you'll know one day when you go or you don't make it. I didn't lay enough away up there. I didn't, I didn't place enough to where my heart is up there instead of down here. Do you understand the concept? It says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. If I've not laid enough treasure up in heaven, then my heart will not be in heaven. If everything that I have is down here in this earth, then my heart will stay in this earth. And when that time comes, when I take that last breath, or when the trumpet sounds, then I'm going to go to a place that I don't want to go. I'm going to go to hell. I'm not going to go where my heart it should be. I'm not going to go where I should really want to go right now. But rather, I'm going to go to hell. I want to lay up treasure where my heart desires to be there. I want to lay up so much in heaven that the only thing that I can think of, the only thing I can hope for, is the fact that one day I'm going to be where I've laid up my investment. Proverbs 11, verse 9, goes very well with what I just said. And hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor. But through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Hypocrites lead others into sin, trouble, and eventually destruction. And how do they do it? They do it by their lying words. But a just man with the wisdom and the knowledge of God and his word will not be led astray by wicked talkers. He will see through them. If you're a just man, you need to thank God, and you will thank God if you're a just man every day for saving truth. You will thank God for saving truth. What is a hypocrite? Definition from Webster's Dictionary or from your dictionary personal, what is a hypocrite?
He is a man who puts up a front to hide his wicked heart, his wicked life, and his intentions. That's what a hypocrite is. They flatter, they pretend, and they lie. They are, according to Matthew 7.15, wolves in sheep's clothing. That's what they are. How does he use his mouth? He deceives and misleads the simple by good words and fair speeches. Look at Romans 16, verse 18. It'll come up behind me. You can read it there. He flatters to get men to let down their guard and hear him. Oh, boy, if you've been around, and you've come across a few of those. They pretend to live for God. They'll flatter you, and then they'll lead you down the wrong road. How does he destroy others? He leads them to sin by pretending to have good intentions. He uses religion to get men to think well of him. Look at Matthew 6, verse 2. Matthew 6, verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. But they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus is simply saying... Because they, they got their reward. They're sounding a trumpet. They're letting everybody know, look at me. I'm a Holy Ghost-filled person. I'm living holy, righteous. I look good, smell good, act good, taste good, whatever else. He said, I'm all the good things. When in reality, they are not. When in reality, they're all a false front. That's all they are. He speaks of loving the Lord but lives for himself which undermines the faith of those that are watching him. What is a just man? He is a righteous man who does what is right in the sight of God and men. He is honest, sincere, and true. He is the opposite of the hypocritical liar. How are the just delivered? just man is saved from the hypocrites by knowing the truth, which gives him the wisdom and understanding to reject the hypocrites' ideas. What knowledge saves the just? Knowing God and His Word saves righteous men. You're going to hear me repeatedly because this is what Proverbs is saying, especially in this chapter. It's talking over and over and over again about knowing the Word of God. And I think that is, the, that is this last day, the sundown thing that we're, we're needing to know. I, I, we're living at sundown time. You know, I, I, you've heard me preach a couple of weeks ago. Sunrise is for the apostles, for the disciples of their day. Ours, the church, is sundown. There's going to be that second of time when everybody glows, when the church glows, when the sun is just getting ready to go down. It's when our opportunity is going to be before us. And we are living at that time. It's going to happen at any, it's going to happen at any moment. We're going to have a short time to do a great work. And I want us to all be ready to do that great work. And in order to do that, we, we, have, to, we have to understand that, that we, we have to know the Word. We have to be aware of, of everything that that Word teaches us and be able to quote it, be able to use it, be able to preach it. That's what a just man would do. Now, just Jesus often faced hypocrites. The Pharisees, the most conservative denomination of the Jews' religion, were the greatest hypocrites in the Bible by claiming to be the most dedicated to God, hiding, you know, while hiding their perverse agenda. And they eventually, it was the, it was the Pharisees that eventually killed Jesus. And, and so these were, these were some of the people that he dealt with. The Bible warned that there would be many hypocrites in the future. Now, I, I, didn't, I just used the best one of the bunch is Jude 1.16, but 2 Corinthians 2.17, 4 and 2, 11, 13... 
uh, through 15, Colossians 2, 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, 6, 3, 2 Peter 2, and 3, 18 and 19. And then this one, Jude 1, if you got that, Jude 1, Jude 1, 16. These are murmurers, complainers. Now, this is Jude, New Testament. You got this? This is an epistle written by Jude about a hypocrite. Will you look real closely at what he, how he defines this? These are murmurs. Are you a murmur? Complainers. Are you a complainer? If you are, you're a hypocrite. Walking after their own lust. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Taking advantage of people is what that's saying. By great swelling words. The ability to sway men, flatter men, and to make people think how you know, wonderful a person that they really are. This is, what they're, this is what he's saying. This is what Jude's trying to get across here. And they're warned of the hypocrites. These are the hypocrites of the future. You see, you can't be a hypocrite unless you're in the church. I get so tired of hearing people say, I can't go to church because of the hypocrites. Well, that can't help it. We can't get hypocrites out of the church. They won't be hypocrites anymore. The Bible says we've got to be hypocrites and we've got to have them. I'm going to go to hell just because there's a hypocrite in the church. Well, you're going to go to hell with a hypocrite. Why, why would you want to do that? You, you got that? There's going to be murmurs, complainers, and you're going to get mad at them. Just look at them and say, I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus' name. They'll either hit you or they'll quit being a hypocrite. If they quit being a hypocrite, there was a devil involved. If they hit you, it's because they've got iniquity in their heart. Either way, it works. In fact, we may live, I'm not too sure that we may not live in the most hypocritical time of all. In fact, fact, Paul prophesied of perilous times of the last days when men would only have a form of godliness, which is a form of religion. In 1 Timothy 3 and 5, it speaks of this. So he says in the last days that there are going to be perilous times coming because they're going to have a form of religion. We live in a time where there is a form of religion. I'm not, uh, listen to me, when I talk, and I, I, maybe you don't have it yet, I, I want you to get this. Read my lips if you can't hear me. These, are not, these scriptures are not talking about the, the denominal church down the road. If they are not filled with the Holy Ghost, they're not baptized in Jesus' name according to the book, that I read called the Bible, they are not in the church. These things are talking about church people. Those people we need to still pray for and get them into the church. These warnings are to usins, you all, youans, Hoosierisms, whatever. It's us. It's so easy to believe, yeah, that's the way that church down the road is. You know, it's not, you don't care about that. He, those people are dead in sins and trespasses. He does not, he does not, God does not recognize a person that is dead and sinned and trespasses. He only looks at that person to repent. He looks at us as people who should know better. Judgment begins in the house of God. That's what it's talking about. Your judgment begins when you prayed through. And that's where God begins to judge you. You're not even alive until that time. 
Now, let's just ask you, are you, <coughs> are you knowledgeable enough to defeat a hypocrite? Are you? Are you so settled on the Word of God that you can see through a hypocrite, their deceitful pretensions, good words, fair speeches? Are you good enough? Learning the Bible and walking in the Spirit is what will save you. That will save you. That's the difference. Proverbs 11, verse 13. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth a matter. What God called tale-bearing, we used to call tattling or gossip. Now, it's investigative reporting. Now, it's entertainment. Newspapers, televisions, tabloids, and Internet sites, Facebook, One of these days, I'm gonna, I'll be the only one doing it. I'm going to get me one of those signs to go down the square in Bloomington, walk around down with Facebook, walk back and forth down with Facebook. If, if Solomon had known this, he would have changed it. He said, a Facebook person revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. That's good preaching. Boy, it's good preaching. People read all this stuff, look at all this stuff with glee. They love it. They tingle with curiosity hearing it. They, they beg for more details, especially sexual ones. They cannot wait to repeat it to others. Are you with me? If the least rumor or event can be obtained from about our president's personal life or family, it is spread far and wide and discussed to death. The same is true for business leaders, sports figures, celebrities. And the more negative the facts, the more exciting to spread. Now, this fascination with secrets is a sin and proves the perversity of our nation. It really is. It proves how perverse we are. Family members, neighbors, office workers, and even some church members love to spread news of negative events in the lives of others. They say, did you know they are divorced? Did you know that? Have you heard the latest about him? Can you believe that she did that? You know, I got behind sister so-and-so the other day, and I took my tape measure out. I think she might be cutting her hair. Honest to God now. You're saying you're getting ridiculous. No, no, no. There is no way. I've heard things like that, and there's no way that a person could know unless they did have a tape measure out. I have called people in my office, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. I learned real quick never to believe any of that stuff. Don't come to me with that stuff. You know, let God reveal it to me. Let them just, you know, if you're going to cut on your hair, then just whack it all off, and we'll shave it, and you'll be okay. That's what the Bible says. Better to be bald. So we'll just shave it all off, and you'll be fine. They're saying, you get into that? No, I'm just talking about how things get started when that doesn't really, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. No, you're not hearing me. It is none of your business. None of your business. 
And if somebody's messing up, I, I, you know, 90% of the people I've tried to help come back on the right road, they already knew they were doing wrong. Oh, help me, Jesus. I don't know if I better. Maybe I better quit. Help me. Ah, off goes the wicked lips and ears to discuss the private details of others that should be concealed. You know, sometimes the best way to do something is you need to talk to someone that you know is obviously trying to or get the right person to say, are you having some problems? There's something I can help you with. A lot of times truth comes out that way rather than pointing fingers and tattling and tail-bearing. Good, good, thank you. Now, this sin is an abomination to God, and he hates it. His heart knows that spreading damaging news about others is to rape their reputations. Now, you, you follow this. The Bible does not know the word gossip. It uses tailbear, tattlers, whispers, and backbiters. Solomon teaches here that good men with faithful spirits will not repeat private news they learn about others. That's what the Bible says. Tailbearing is telling private matters to gratify malice or idle curiosity. Tattling is tailbearing. Whispering is quiet or secret tailbearing. Backbiting includes tailbearing behind a person's back. God condemns these sins. Look at Leviticus 19:16. Leviticus 19:16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tailbearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. First Timothy five thirteen. First Timothy five thirteen. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house this is talking about women, by the way. Wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers also busybodies speaking things which they ought not. Personally, Robertson six and eight, I think every woman should go to work. You know why? Because when they're not, they're busy tailbearing. They don't have nothing to do, so they get... You want me to get on Facebook again? They're Twittering somebody. Or is that tweeting? I don't know. All right. They're tweeting, they're Twittering, they're... I don't know. Tweety burden, whatever it is. You know, they're, they're doing something. They're causing problems. Idle. That's the key. Now, I, I said that. Whenever we get idle, there's a lot of women that stay home and they're not idle. But when you become idle and you don't have anything to do, this is when a lot of people get in trouble. That old, uh, that old saying, you know, idle hands the devil's workshop, that really has something, some bearing to it. They re it really does. Because the more that we're idle, the more we tend to want to find something to do. Thus, we get into other people's business because we have nothing else to talk about. So it's, it's easy to do this, and we need not be. Now, these four Bible terms that I just used all involve telling true facts about others that need not be told. That the information is true only means it is not slandered. That is all, which is spreading lies about others. Talebearers will quickly justify themselves by saying they are only telling facts, but that is the very definition of talebearing. That is the definition of it, tattling, whispering, and backbiting. That the secrets are true does not mitigate the sin at all. It does not mean, well, I'm just telling facts. No, that's still tail-bearing. That's still wrong. It's still sin. I know that you don't have enough to do. You know, get out and buy a lawnmower and mow yards. You know, go clean somebody's house. Do something, but don't, don't, don't. 
Now, don't clean my house and you find something you tail bear about. You don't need to do that. The Lord knows there are only two reasons you're telling tales. Number one is malicious hatred or idle curiosity. You are damaging another person's reputation. There is no godly reason for you to do it. That's that simple. You know, physical rape is a horrible crime, and I, I think all of us know that and understand that, and it should be punished severely. But tail-bearing may be worse in that it can have greater consequences. Instead of, of hurting a person's body for a few minutes or emotional state for a while, it can leave permanent scars on a person's reputation and character, the much more valuable parts of a person. Now, I want you to consider what I just said, and, and I, you may not agree with that, but I, I've seen a lot of people's reputations hurt by lies. And even by things that, that they made, everybody in this place has made some grievous errors in their lives. Since you've served God, you've made some big mistakes. I guarantee you that you have. And you don't want anybody to find out about them. You've already made it right with God. Amen? You made it right with God. Maybe you've even confessed it to me. I don't know. But I'm saying this. Nobody else needs to know. And if a person finds out and they, start dam they can damage your reputation and everything, God has forgotten it. You've made everything right, but yet your reputation. Heart of a man is desperately wicked and will do anything it, it can to defame or injure others, according to Romans 3.13 and Jeremiah 17 and 9. By nature, all men are hateful and hating one another. Titus 3.3 says that. And one of the easiest ways to hurt another's reputation is to spread private information that does not need to be told. So it is this sin that our proverb condemns. Faithful men will hide private information that you happen to learn. They will conceal such things. They will not repeat them to anyone. They will do all they can to protect the reputations of others, no matter what their personal feelings about that person might be. This sin used to be condemned in our nation. Many will remember rules and punishment for tattling it at home or school. And, you know, that's the way that I was raised. But now it is forgotten sin. In our perverse generation, instead of punishment, rewards are given for those who can obtain the most damaging reports or revealing photographs of persons on all levels of society. Guard your tongue. Don't let it spread secrets. It should be concealed. It does not matter one whit whether the information is true or not. If someone else is backbiting, condemn him with an angry countenance or rebuke. You can see that in Proverbs 25:23 and 1 Thessalonians 5:14. It tells you to rebuke someone as tailbearing. How do you do that to your best friend and wants to get you over in the corner and starts whispering in your ear? You want to see something that's funny. I shouldn't say this. I'm going to anyway. You want to see something that's funny. You ought to go to where a bunch of preachers are electing presbyters and so forth. One of our preachers meeting. And you see them all in the corners whispering. You're talking about tail-bearing. I mean, they, they're, all, they're all politicking, trying to, to, to vie for that position. You see it. It's in the nature of human beings to do that. And you have to fight that nature. You have to fight it. You want to instantly, when you find out something, you want to go and tell somebody about it. Was it? Brother, it was Brother Fox that told me it last night, and, I, I, and this might be appropriate. You know, it, you, you wonder 
you wonder about who loves you sometimes. And, you know, you can that person still love you if you don't tell them what they want to hear? Or you know something about something and they've seen somebody talking to you, right? And they want to know that loved one, your wife, your husband, whatever it is. They want to know. Now, maybe God doesn't see that in the camp since the two have become one. Maybe it's okay. But you've got to be sure that that wife loves you enough not to take off and tell someone else or husband. It's like Brother Fox said. He said, you know, who do you love more, most, your dog or your wife? Now, I've asked several people this. Jake, he told the truth. I'm not going to tell Bear, don't worry. And, um, you know, who do you love most? And most of you, of course, most of you men out here would say your wife. Well, if that be the case, then take your dog and your wife and throw them in the trunk of your car and drive down the road for 10 miles. And when you open it up, see which one still loves you. That dog will still come out wagging his tail. Your wife will come out wagging her finger, her fist, or a gun. <laughs> that brother, I see if he wasn't, he didn't tell those things. I would never. I, I, I would. It's all his fault. All his fault. So guard your tongue. <laughs> How important is it to avoid this sin? Our proverb teaches that faithful men will not do it. Psalm 15 and 3 teaches that a mark of eternal life is not doing it. Since God hates it and mentions it often in Scripture, all fathers must include it in their training of their sons. Ephesians 6, 4. It should be that way. Aren't you glad that Jesus forgets our sins forever? Hebrews 8 and 12, he tells us this. And he would never reveal them. Can you imagine? What if, if the Lord was a tailbearer? Yeah, you you got someone in prayer here, and, and God's telling him all about what you just prayed. All about the sin you just confessed. You ever been to a prayer meeting where you got somebody who gets real quiet over there, and you got someone that's loud confessing sins? They're just listening. You want to tell the next person, you know, down the way. <laughs> Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Neither you nor your government know how to make a good decision in a vacuum. All of us are that way. The protection against bad decisions is to identify a large number of wise men to help make important decisions. If a government proceeds in haste, pride, or by the whims of one man, corruption and trouble will likely follow for that principality. But when a government heeds a broad range of wise men, there is generally profit and safety for everybody. So God inspired Solomon to write Proverbs to teach young men to be wise, according to Proverbs 1, 1 through 5. And here before you is an important rule of wisdom. Do not make large decisions without consulting wise. Now, when I say this, please understand something. It's consulting wise and successful men in whatever matter you're making a decision in. That's important. 
taking uh, counsel from the wrong person can be as bad as not taking any. In fact, it can be worse. It is people that are wise, people that have gone through it. And also, people who are not emotionally or personally or financially involved in this decision that you're making. They can apply their wisdom and experience to your situation without the distracting and distorting influences that may be corrupting their thoughts. Every way of a man, the Bible says, is right in his own eyes. And of course, have you ever, ever made a bad decision? Anybody? Of course not. You know, none of you have ever made a bad decision. Because in your own eyes, you couldn't possibly make one. Nobody. Nobody's made a bad decision in their whole life. That's how you think. That's a fact of human nature. Solomon had often observed that particular thing. You see it in several scriptures, uh, Proverbs 14, 16, 21. But you are usually wrong, and, and for many reasons, even though you, you may not realize it. You're inherently ignorant. All of us are inherently ignorant. Now, that means to ignore things. That doesn't mean you're stupid. That means you ignore things. So we ignore things, or we're ignorant. Uh, we also are emotionally affected. We are personally biased, educationally slanted, financially motivated, and peer-influenced. That makes you dangerous. Do you understand what I'm saying when making big decisions? These are the things that interfere with you making decisions. Let's look at that again. One reason we make bad decisions is because we can be ignorant of what we're making the decision about. We can be emotionally affected. We can be personally biased, educationally slanted, financially motivated, and peer influence. Peer influence is a bad one. When other people your age, oh, well, they're doing this or they're doing that, we make decisions sometimes according to what our peers, and I can give you Scripture for that, a lot of Scripture for that, uh, where big mistakes were made because of peer influence. Not every, ever count, not every counselor will do. And if you, you choose to check your ideas and decisions with just your friends, most of them will agree with you to keep your friendship and avoid debate. Now, this is what I was talking about. Solomon's son Rehoboam, after the death of his father, he listened to his young friends rather than to his father's aged and wise counselors. And because of this foolish choice, he lost ten of his nation's twelve tribes to a rival. Or to a rival. First Kings 12, 1-20 tells you that. It has been said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And to counter this perverting effect, authority of authority those in positions of leadership must rely even more heavily on counselors if they seek to go it alone they're taking a great risk with their office and the people that are under them how many souls lives fortunes would have been saved if all husbands fathers masters pastors and rulers had used counselors you look at world war ii counselors would have saved nations from hitler's lies if Hitler had trusted military advisors, he would have defeated the Soviets. He also would have defeated those, a lot of those in Africa if he allowed Rommel to make some decisions. Counselors tried to save Japan from war with the U.S., but were rejected. Twenty million countrymen could not be saved from Stalin's purges by counselors. If the U.S. had used counselors, they would not have given Eastern Europe to the Soviet Union. These are disastrous decisions that caused many to fall. And there are only a few that's associated with war. Look how many more that we can't even cover here. If you desire to grow in wisdom, you will jetson your, your thoughts and, and replace them with the opinions of wise counselors. This is a hard choice to make because you sinfully hate being criticized or corrected. Every one of us do. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be criticized. 
You want to be the wise one that always makes the outstanding decisions. You, you have to learn. All of us have to learn to crush our pride and subject our ideas and plans to the analysis and the examination of others by choosing godly men. And please understand what I am saying. Godly, wise men. Not everyone can be a counselor. But by choosing godly and successful men as your counselors, you can instantly raise the quality of your future decisions. Instantly. The ultimate counselors, let's look at this, are those that know the Word of God and can apply it to your life and your choices. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God may be perfectly perfect, thoroughly furnished unto, look at this, unto all good works, so that the man of God can be perfect. The Word of God is given to us to perfect us. So we have to know how the Word of God can be applied to the situation and to our lives. That's the right way. Counsel contrary to the Bible is worse than no counsel at all. It's destructive. Do you have godly counselors in your life? Are you such a counselor to those that need you? Please, be wise. If you're one of those that never makes a right mistake, buys the wrong car every time you buy one, can't keep a job, can't keep anything, can't keep your wife happy, can't keep your kids happy, then find someone that's got a successful family. Don't go to the person that you like so well that's got the same problems. Don't do that. You like going to those people because it makes you feel good because maybe their problems are worse than yours. What you need is go to someone who will set you down. Look, this is your problem, and don't get mad, and don't get an attitude, and don't let your pride kill you. That's the best preaching you're going to hear for the next 25 years. <laughs> oh, my. Do I need to go on? Yeah, I'll, I'll go on with this one. Proverbs 11:21. Though hand... Join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. It does not matter if evil men conspire together, the judge of all who will punish them. Numbers mean nothing to God, and he loves to break up combinations and confederacies. He loves to do that, especially wicked men. Vengeance is his. He will repay, and he will also direct his providence or his love to save and bless good men and their children, though they may be very few. Choice is simple. God will deliver and help godly men and their families, but he will crush the wicked no matter how large and powerful they become. It is your daily choice to be righteous or wicked because no matter what, if there is now, you, we got Bible for this, Noah's day. There was just a very few. In fact, I'm going to go to that in just a moment. But it doesn't matter for numbers. I don't care if the world, that there's not but two people in this world that are saved and are righteous, God will crush the rest of this world and save those two people. It doesn't matter. You cannot go with the numbers all the time. I want to see a billion people saved on the face of the earth, and that would still be few considering how many people are on the face of the earth. But you've got to remember, God does not care when it comes to that. He just is looking for righteous people. So it's your daily choice to, be cho to choose whether you're going to be righteous or wicked. The results are certain. There's no escape. Your future punishment is certain if God is against you. The choice is simple, and you just choose to be righteous. You choose godliness. That's what you choose. Go back 4,390 years, and the world was full of violence and wickedness. 
The saints of God were marrying women of the world. Their children were great successes. Mankind was united and rejecting God and His ways. But there was one faithful man who was just perfect and righteous, and he walked with God and began to reign. And every man, woman, and child drowned, but Noah saved himself and his family. Go back 2,000 years ago, kings and, and, and Israel's rulers conspired against Jesus of Nazareth. And did God react to this international confederacy? He laughed hard, according to Psalm 2 and 4. What else did he do? He got angry. He vexed him with tribulation, 70 A.D., worse than anything before or since. Were any delivered? Only the few that feared the Lord, kissed the Son, and trusted in Him. According to Psalm 2.10, Matthew 24.22, and Acts 2.40. Consider today. Let's look at today. Hollywood, the U.N., communism, the NEA, Democrats, the Muslims, the ACLU, and hell's angels all have something dear in common. They despise Bible Christians and most of today's carnal Christians. I'm sorry. I said Democrats. Forgive me. Liberal political parties. I shouldn't have brought a party up. In case this goes out in the airways, change that for me. Just put liberal, liberal political parties. Okay. But you can't let the numbers or agreement bother you. Hold fast. Hold fast. And we're going to rule with Jesus Christ. That's the way. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Did I say 2 Timothy? Or 1 Timothy? 2 Timothy 3, 1 is what I got. You got the wrong Timothy. I never make a mistake. Okay. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Now, this is, this, is what, this is a time that we're living in. This is today, right now. The majority, though, means nothing. Regardless of how big it looks out there and how many is against you, it does not mean anything to God. It means nothing except to be wrong. Truth has always been held by a small minority. Now, keep this in mind. Again, minority, when we look at numbers and we look at numbers, God does not see uh, Spencer, Indiana only. He sees the whole world, everything. He sees six and a half billion people. And a minority can be a billion when it comes to six and a half billion. It can be that way. It can be a minority. But regardless, our little section of it, we may seem to be less than the rest. But we're a whole lot bigger than what you think because we've got a great big God that is on our side and He alone. And that's all that really matters. That's all that really matters. Good men reject the majority. And you can see that in Joshua 24:15, Job 31:34, Daniel 3, 1 through 18. And again, God cannot stand the choices and trends of the majority in Exodus 23 and 2, Numbers 14, 1 through 10, and 1 John 5, 19. Your daily choice to be godly or wicked affects children and grandchildren. Exodus 20 and 5, Psalm 37, 25. Do not fear this world and its united front against truth and godliness. Watch ye, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Quit you like men. In other words, stand up like a man and be strong. That's what it tells us to do. Oh, I love, I can't, I can't do it. Now, next, next week, I'm going to start with that. I'm going to give you homework, all right? Ready for homework? Proverbs 11:22. I want you to study as a jewel of gold in a swine snout. 
So is a fair well, I'm going to love you're going to love this. So is a fair woman which is without discretion. You need to study that. Get into uh, your commentaries. Get off Facebook. Get on uh, your commentaries and your Bible and read that and find out what a what a 800-pound pig with a gold ring in its nose would look like. Anytime you've got a woman without discretion and she's on your arm, it's just like taking a root and snorting hog along with you. Boy, you wait till I define what without discretion is. That's people who, women who talk loud. You better, part of your homework, look up discretion. All right. All right. Lord bless you. Let's stand. I love doing these proverbs. I, I just, they are so much, uh, there's so much in them. There's so much there. You think about God as he inspired Solomon, who Solomon was the wisest man in the whole world. And uh, you look at this, and I've read, I've read a lot, gone through it, and I've read a lot of Ecclesiastes along with it. And um, you look at some of the things that he wrote, and, and you say, well, Solomon, you wrote these, but you did them. You know, you, I guess that's how he could write what he did. Because he, some of the mistakes he was trying to teach against, he had, he had made those mistakes. 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 wives, 1,000 wives. He could talk with some knowledge about women without discretion. But I, I mean, how would he know which ones? Well, anyway, it's, it's amazing when you can see and, uh, how God could, because it's so relevant for us today. So much of it's relevant, and even in a time when we, you know, we, we, we and I, I believe a woman walks beside a man. I don't believe she walks behind him, but uh, a man can be stupid and can do stupid things and not love his wife the way he should love her and cause her to be some of the areas here that the Solomon's talking about. But a woman also can make up her mind to say, regardless of how dumb my husband is, I'm going to be a woman of God. You know, I'm going to be a virtuous woman. I'm going to be the right kind of person. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings. And I pray, God, that you would bless each and every one. Keep them safe as they drive, I pray. And also, God, I pray, Jesus, that you would, you would bless them in every way financially. God, bless them in their jobs. Strengthen them. Those that are not working, God, that you would give them work even this week, God, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord bless you.